Welcome back to yet another wonderful episode of Bible and Wine Time. I'm your host, Professor Claris, and Dr. Graham is with us again today. Welcome, Dr. Graham. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. And now, as promised, we will be discussing and taking a deeper look into a biblical and biological perspective of blood, how it works, and what it means spiritually, but more importantly, what the blood of Jesus means for us. So let's begin by reviewing the last few scriptures we read in blood part one. This will be Hebrews 9, 6 through 12 in the Passion Translation. This is what it says. So with this prescribed pattern of worship, the priests would routinely go in and out of the first chamber to perform their religious duties. And the high priest was permitted to enter into the holiest sanctuary of all only once a year. And he can never enter without first offering sacrificial blood for both his own sins and for the sins of the people. Now the Holy Spirit uses the symbols of this pattern of worship to reveal that the perfect way of holiness had not yet been unveiled. For as long as the tabernacle stood, it was an illustration that pointed to our present time of fulfillment, demonstrating that offerings and animal sacrifices had failed to perfectly cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. For this old pattern of worship was a matter of external rules and rituals concerning food and drink and ceremonial washings which was imposed upon us until the appointed time of heart restoration had arrived. But now the anointed one has become the king priest of every wonderful thing that has come, for he serves in a greater, more perfect, heavenly tabernacle not made by men. And he has entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all, not with the blood of animal sacrifices, but the sacred blood of his own sacrifice. And he alone has made our salvation secure forever. What do you think about that, Dr. Graham? I think that's awesome. Well, before we begin to discuss the biology... Let's take a deeper look into verse 12 of the prior passage. We'll go ahead and start with a reading in a different translation or two of the Bible. So here's Hebrews 9.12, again, in the complete Jewish Bible. This is what it says. He entered the holiest place once and for all, and he entered not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus setting people free forever. And again, in the Living Bible, this is actually going to be Hebrews 9, 11, 12 in the Living Bible. It says this, He came as high priest of this better system that we now have. He went into that greater, perfect tabernacle in heaven, not made by men nor part of this world, and once for all took blood into that inner room, the Holy of Holies, and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. But it was not the blood of goats and calves. No, he took his own blood, and with it he, by himself, made sure of our eternal salvation. From the three translations we've read so far, it would seem clear, and is made even clearer in the rest of the chapter that the blood of Jesus both freed us from sin and its effects and the freedom would appear to be forever. 
What do you think about that, Dr. Graham? I think that that is a picture of Passover. It really is. I believe it says that to uh, one man, sin entered and so did death by sin. And that was Adam. And Jesus, through him, came life. He shed his own blood or allowed his blood to be shed, rather. He could have stopped it, but he chose to be taken and to go to the cross for us so that uh, by his blood, we're set free from the bondage of sin, therefore being passed over by death. Yes. Anyway, let's continue with our quest for knowledge, understanding, and most importantly, truth, by looking at a few definitions. The first definition will be a brief of the meaning of the word blood used in this passage. Blood, Strong's number 129. The Greek word is aima. And here are a few selected definitions from the complete word study dictionary of the New Testament. Again, that's edited by Spiros Zodiates. All of his work is fantastic, at least in my opinion it is. On page 92, section 1, it says this, Blood as the substantial basis of the individual life. In section 4, we see this. It's related to the forcible taking away of life. Aima is used to denote life given up or offered as an atonement since, in the ritual of sacrifice, special emphasis is laid upon it as the material basis of the individual life. Anything to add right here, Dr. Graham? Well, the scriptures do say life is in the blood. They do, and I believe we're going to go there in a minute. Yes. Let's go ahead and see if we can gain more wisdom here by examining another biblical passage before our next definition. All right, here we go. Leviticus 17.11 in the New King James Version says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. I think we just said that. Yes, we did. The same verse in the complete Jewish Bible reads, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for yourselves. For it is the blood that makes atonement because of the life. In the Israeli or Jewish religion at the time of Moses from Leviticus until about 70 AD, some may say as early as Abraham, and indeed animal blood sacrifices actually extend back to Adam in Genesis. Animal sacrifices were made by the high priest once a year, and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies to make atonement for or cover people's sins. This yearly sacrifice was required because the blood of bulls, sheep, and goats was not great enough to actually erase sin completely and initiate the process of empowerment to completely free people from sin and eventually its effects. Because it is said the life is in the blood, we can assume the life of Jesus was also in his blood. Because Jesus is the only begotten Son of God and Emmanuel, God with us, we could also reasonably assume the life of God was in his blood. His life and his blood must have been truly unique. What do you think? Absolutely. Scientifically, the DNA that we carry is from the Father's line. Hmm. Selah. So, Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary, being the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, we sing his DNA came from Yahweh. Yahweh. Or Abba Father. Mm -hmm. Jehovah. There's something to think about. Anyway, well, I fully intended to define another word here from the passage in Ephesians. I see here another far more pressing issue, and that is of the word life in Leviticus 17.11. This means it's time to pull out the Hebrew study aids. To find the Hebrew word used here, I used BibleHub.com. 
It's a great free resource that I would encourage you to use as well. Here's the information I found there. We have Strong's number 5315. In the Hebrew word here would appear to be nefesh, which means a soul, living being, life, self, person, desire, passion, appetite, and emotion. Brown Driver Briggs puts it this way, that which breathes, the breathing substance or being, anima, the soul, the inner being of man. That's number one. And then 3a says this, a living being whose life resides in the blood. There's more to this. In other words, if we're still not quite getting it, there's another verse to look at here, actually, in which the word or a derivative thereof is used. In Deuteronomy 12, 23 and 24, in the voice, it says this, but discipline yourselves not to eat the blood because the blood is the soul and you mustn't eat the soul along with the meat. Don't eat the blood, pour it out on the ground like water. Huh. I'm going to read that one more time. But discipline yourselves not to eat the blood because the blood is the soul. And you mustn't eat the soul along with the meat. Don't eat the blood. Pour it out on the ground like water. Hmm, something here about the blood being the soul? Or is it that the soul is attached to the blood? What do you think, Dr. Graham? Well, it, it brings to mind the scripture in Genesis 4 where God is addressing Cain for killing his brother. And, and God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Wow. Wow. So it's almost like the blood is crying out. But since the blood of Yeshua was spilled, it's also crying out. Yes. And it says that the blood of Yeshua says better things than the blood of Abel. As in, Father, forgive them. Or, I love these people. Mm-hmm. I cover them on the mercy seat. That's really good news. Amen. Anyway, after reading the last two verses in the voice and the definition of the Hebrew word nefesh so far, it would seem to be very clear that somehow souls, as we understand to some extent, are attached to or live in the blood of the host of body. There is further evidence of this and even our souls being attached to other parts and points of our bodies. But the blood seems to be the big one. Now, before we go much further, I would like to address something that could be a point of contention. Some might hear or read these verses and hear what we've said here and then say to themselves, but God or the Bible was just talking about the blood of animals like that. In truth, the word used for flesh in Leviticus 17.11 is the word basar, which is used to refer to all flesh or the body of any creature, including humans, which I believe we've already sort of made clear by talking about Abel and Jesus in those verses that discuss that. Amen. Anyway, now that we've cleared that up, let's do a brief review. Jesus was and is the perfect sacrifice and set us free with his blood placed on the mercy seat. Ah, may I make a comment? Yes. His blood is the Father's blood. Oh my. Oh my. Well, Jesus did say if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. That's right. Something about that. Dig a little deeper. Mm -hmm. Dig a little deeper. Don't just take our word for it. Dig a little deeper. Yep. And then the life or soul, Hebrew word nefesh, of the creature or flesh, body, is in its blood. Mm. What I see here would seem apparent to me, and probably you as well. But let's not be so hasty to rush to a conclusion without first doing a little more research. Which means it's time for a little science. science. Or maybe a lot. I guess that's a matter of perspective. In the first edition of the book Biology, 
Concepts and Investigations by Maribel Hofnagels, <laughs> who at the time of writing or possibly publication of the book or both was and maybe still is an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma. On page 658 in table 32.1, it outlines blood functions, which are as follows. One is gas exchange. Basically, it moves oxygen to tissues and carbon dioxide out of our bodies. Sort of. Nutrient transport is another purpose of blood. Waste transport, the stuff that turns into pee or urine. Hormone transport, blood carries hormones. Creation of interstitial fluid, I, I don't even know what that means. But if you're a science person, you probably know, especially if you're a biology major. Hopefully I'm getting all this right. Uh, it maintains or helps to maintain homeostasis or regulates blood pH, regulates cells, water content, and generates pressure gradient that keeps plasma in capillaries, absorbs heat. <clears throat> That's a fun one. It absorbs heat and dissipates it at the body's surface. Something to think about there. Our God is a consuming fire. Hmm. Let's keep going. Protection. Blood clots plug damaged vessels. White blood cells destroy foreign particles and participate in inflammatory response, which dilutes toxins at an injury site. Wow. Think about the blood of Yeshua there and how he poured it out for us. It says that Christ or Jesus is the head of his body, the church. And if we're his body, then certainly, or at least in theory, he may have poured his own blood out so that it could flow through us or cover us. But let's keep going. Let's keep going. On page 665, in section 32.4, it says, Blood is a complex mixture. The first two sentences say this, Like all connective tissues, blood consists of cells within a matrix. Plasma is the liquid matrix of blood. Oh, this is getting pretty deep. Blood, the matrix, souls, sacrifices. Now we're seeing blood as a connective tissue, even in science. My mind is blown. <laughs> what do you think? Do you have anything to add here, Dr. Graham? Mind blown. All right. All right. All right. Well, before we move on, I would like to point out that plasma, as referenced here, is mostly water. Okay. Bear with me here. One more science table. Then we'll move on and wrap this up. Table 32.3 on page 665 of the same biology book lists four main components of blood and their functions. Here we go. Plasma. It's a liquid component of blood, exchanges water, and many dissolved substances with interstitial fluid. Red blood cells, uh, called erythrocytes, carry oxygen, or O2. They carry O2. White blood cells, or leukocytes, they destroy foreign substances, initiate inflammation. Platelets initiate clotting. They're called thrombocytes. All right, that's enough science for right now. You can just say law or think about that. Blood does a lot of things. I have a few more interesting scriptures or at least references to give to wrap things up. But before I get to those, is there anything else you would like to add here, Dr. Graham? I just think the analogies of what the blood does to what what the Holy Spirit does in us when we receive the gift of the blood is very interesting. All right. I believe so, too. 
Anyway, I'm going to give the listeners a few passages for them to look up on their own uh, regarding the things we've talked about. Let's say, look at John 7, 38, and think plasma when you're doing that. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. And you can think about white blood cells. And then John 6, 54 through 57. That's a great passage. 1 Corinthians 11, 26. And 1 Corinthians 10, 16. All of these are great passages to look at with regards to what we're talking about today. I would also like to say it's becoming clear and clear to me that the blood of Jesus must have had some extraordinary properties. Since, as we've discovered in the last few passages, Christians are instructed in a fashion to eat his body and drink his blood. Is it possible then that his body and blood literally transform us as we partake of them in the form Jesus instructed? And if so, how? I think he didn't mean for us to literally eat flesh and blood there as we've been instructed not to drink blood and eat flesh. However, he said something to his disciples about the Passover meal. As often as you do this, do it in memory of me. He said about the bread, this is my body. And he said about the wine, this is my blood. So something about remembering him or being grateful and thankful for his act and his sacrifice in that moment, we're allowed to partake of his resurrection life. Anything to add? It, it brings life, healing, and health if we receive it as the way he gave it. Amen. Amen. Well, this blood business is a lot. And I see a distinct possibility for a blood part three. Yeah. However, now I think it's time for the wine. And today's wine is, oh, it's a, it's a Manischewitz cream red Concord. Uh, this one says it's American and it is a specially sweetened cream smooth double blended varietal grape wine containing no less than 51% Concord. And it's not kosher for Passover use. <laughs> that's all right, though. I mean, that you know, that's just, just what they say. But we're going to go ahead and check out this Manischewitz anyway and uh, let you know what we think about it. I'd like to make a little comment here. Oh, go ahead. Okay. So Rabbi Kurt Landry on uh, the symbolism of wine in the Bible in connection with uh, his some Passover uh Symbolism. He says, wine is a royal drink that symbolizes freedom. Knowing this, we can begin to understand the significance of the wine and its connection to Passover and communion. Wine is mentioned throughout scripture about abundance, celebration, blessings, prophecy, judgment, and communion. So as we take this in remembrance, but also in celebration of freedom, which is what the, the blood bought for us, the blood of Jesus. That's right. That's right, it did. It bought freedom for us. Not just freedom, but when we receive his free gift, it bought eternal life. Yes. So that not only do we share in his sufferings, but if we share in his sufferings and are baptized into his death, then surely we will receive his resurrection life. That's what it says. Yes, it is. That's what it says. Yes. So, here's to resurrection life and a whole lot of joy. Hope you're all enjoying Passover. Let's go ahead and talk about this wine now. Um, I uh, I think really this wine, it, to me, it tastes exactly like what it says. It's like it's creamy red Concord grapes. Yes. 
I mean, that's it, and I think for like it was like seven dollars for the bottle. Wow. You'd say, I mean, for a seven dollar bottle of wine, it's hard to go wrong with this one. If you're into sweet red wines, yes. um, this is one, in my opinion, that's definitely worth giving a shot. The Manashevitz um is a Passover staple for us. Yes. Uh we we like that one a lot. Um I know a lot of people like some others, but we're mm-hmm. we're really into our Manashevitz here. Yeah. Um especially at our uh Passover festivals and feasts. Yes, and happy resurrection. Yes, happy day. resurrection day. Remember, <laughs> he's alive. Yeah. He is alive. He came out of that grave. Jesus is alive. Amen. God bless you all. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Bible in Wine Time. And I'm your host, Professor Claris. Yeah.